What is going on everyone? Jason Moppin here and you are listening to the Elevate Industries podcast. Thank you so much for your listenership, for tuning in. Another country was added um, over the weekend, Kenya, our newest country, tuning in, listening. Uh, Thank you so much. Always blown away and humbled every time I see a new country come up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in all around the world. Thank you, United States here, man. We got, we're in 35 different cities um, in states around, around the Americas here. So thank you so much for, you know, just tuning in all the way from Florida to Arizona to Washington, DC, Washington, DC and Washington, Oregon. We got Louisiana and Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin, obviously, that's where I live up here in the frozen tundra. Um, but we, I'm just so thankful for your listenership. If it wasn't for you guys tuning in, what would be the purpose? And I'm really thankful for Anchor because I'm able to see the analytics, see where people are listening from, and it shows me I'm not just in here talking to this this beautiful looking mic okay that there's people on the airwaves out here right so thank you a lot of you have emailed me you can always reach me by email Um, if you go on elevateindustries.com there's a part where you can hit the contact tab at the very bottom and send us a message and i will read your message and get back to you as soon as possible Um, we also have merch on our website elevateindustries.com you can get your be the change you wish wish to see t-shirt man those t-shirts are like silky soft and um, you know, no, we did not skimp on those. I'll tell you that much. So get your be the change you wish to see t-shirt and also the take off your mask blog. That's a way that you can get, get what's going on in your chest off your chest in a healthy way. And, and it's anonymous. No one's going to know it's you. You can also read stories of other students and adults alike that have posted on their, their struggles. Okay. It's better to get it out on paper than to do something stupid because you are letting this stuff boil over in you. Okay. So we usually release about one podcast per month, but you are in for a real treat today because today I'm releasing this episode that I was a guest on one of my good friend, Mark Short's podcast. He has a podcast called Mark Explains the Universe. (laughs) And this podcast that I, it's not like ours. It's not a mental health podcast. It's totally different. They talk about crazy things to, you know, whatever it may be. Okay. Um, But he wanted me to come on his podcast and and speak about grief. Obviously he knows that I did a podcast just recently about grief. So he wanted me to talk specifically about grief, but we got into a lot of good content mental health wise, you know, and, and we, and I specifically spoke about baggage, you know, baggage. When you go through traumatic experiences in your past, you are assigned a bag and that bag becomes your personal belongings and what you put in that bag. And when you put your label, your name on that bag, that becomes your ownership over that trauma, right? Well, those bags are taken with us throughout life. And a lot of people, believe it or not, you think they would want to give up those bags, but that those that luggage, that trauma becomes their identity and they have a hard time giving that up. So that's what really this episode is going to be about. It's going to be titled baggage and I hope you enjoy it. And then afterwards we'll talk a little bit more. Thank you again for listening to the Elevate Industries.
podcast. My arm's going to be asleep by the time this thing's over because I'm holding this thing. <laughs> Dude, your arm's going to be sore for like three days. <laughs> My like, thumb is numb. <laughs> I got a good workout in. Nah, just recorded a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, I think we're good here. Yeah, it's still recording, so we're good. Dude, uh, Mother's Day was yesterday. Mother's Day was yesterday. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, that was a tough Mother's Day, man, Yeah, to be honest with you. You, uh, was a, you, you was lost tough. your mom last year, yeah? I lost my mom. Um, you know, she was 70. She, she was 77. She literally turned on August, thir- on August 13th, her birthday, she turned 78. August 14th at 12, 10 p.m., she passed away. Jeez. So, yeah, it was like, you know, but that's her. She's like, I'm going to stick it to the man and, and and get one more one more year in here. If I had to wrap, wrap my mom up into one word, it'd be survivor. She was just mm. a, a survivor, man. Yeah. Um, all of her life, I mean, she was the youngest of eight kids, born 1942, um, you know, my grandfather was in World War One. survived the Spanish flu, the Great wow. Depression, the, you know, the Dust Bowl that you hear about, you know, where it was just the crazy stuff that they survived. And then, you know, you think about what we have to go through. And then, you know, my mom, my mom was born in the youngest of eight kids. And yeah, she was a survivor, man, just a survivor, dealt with a lot of you know, abuse growing up. She was sexually abused from the age of three to seven. Jeez. Um, first husband was, you know, an addict that lasted about a year. Second husband was my father, which he was abusive. And um, then, you know, she raised two boys basically on her own. So she had to be father, mother, friend. Jeez. All you know, of oh, She wore all, all the hats. Them. Oh, dude. Yeah, every hat, man. And she... Growing, as you get older, you don't realize it when you're a kid, but as you get older, you realize, you know, how much she went without so so we could have. You yeah. Know? So, but yeah, it was a tough Mother's Day yesterday, man. I first, all the, all the firsts, all the mm. firsts are tough, you know, without your mom, your first Christmas. Just, oh, dude. Yeah. First Christmas. And, and, you know, this is the, the anniversary of her first year of her death. Um, and it was pretty, the way she passed was peaceful but the way that i found her was pretty um pretty crazy man i was on vacation with my with my good friend you know eric yeah and justin yeah, yeah. yeah so we were on vacation up here in wisconsin wisconsin you as you know wisconsin michigan's beautiful in the summertime it's just those yeah three months in the winter that are it's pure hell you know it's like you mean the six months of winter <laughs> yeah basically oh my gosh dude and everybody thinks hell is gonna be hot i really think hell is gonna be frozen tundra <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna be forced to wear a speedo you know so like that's that's my windy. version of hell yeah windy on the horizon a lot of wind and frozen ice oh man butt. so um but yeah i mean we were on vacation and and uh, we, you know, my wife and I had taken care of her the past 10 years. Uh, my brother's an addict. So he, his addiction, when you, when you deal with addicts, the, the addiction always comes first. So, yeah, we were um, on vacation and, uh, my wife and I had been taking care of my mom for the past 10 years. And dude, we were, we, I went out to my, she, we, she lived in Oklahoma 
And we went out there and picked her up, you know, because my brother was basically cashing her checks, her social security Jeez. checks, you know, to pay for his drug addiction. Jeez. And so my mom calls me up on the phone and says, hey, you know, I hate to do this to you, but, you know, I've been without water in my house, light, electricity for over a month now. Um, the toilets are getting backed up. And I'm like, my mouth is on the ground like, Mom, why haven't you called me sooner? So I was on the next flight out there. It was about 10 years ago. I was on the next flight out there. We moved her up here to Wisconsin. We got her a place to stay, a very nice community as she was a part of. Um, she had a nurse coming in and checking on her twice a week. Um, you know, everything was provided right there for her. So all we had to do was just love on her. And, yeah. and that's what we did, man. But, yeah, we found out. I mean, just it was it was crazy, you know. Every time I'd go check on her, if she would, she would, you know, get in different phases where she dealt with depression due to her past and she wouldn't answer the phone. And cool. so I was like, oh man, you know, it always, my heart would start pounding when I would go over there to check on her after she would answer the phone. If I was out of town, once I would get back in town, I would go over there and see how she's doing. But this time, you know, she, I remember her calling me as, you know, we're on our way home. Um, it was probably like, you know, it was that morning, so we were going to be home that evening. And so it was probably like an eight-hour time difference there. She called me, hey, I love you. I, and I said, I love you too, Mom. I'll see you when we get home. Okay. Um, so we get home. I go over there to check on her, and I don't see her in her living room. She has a small apartment, so you can see the kitchen, living room, bedroom, pretty much from the front door. Yeah. Saw the living room. She wasn't there. Looked in her bed. She wasn't there. She's not in the bathroom. What in the world's going on here? Yeah. I'm like. You know, she didn't have a vehicle. She she had like, you know, she would have. We we paid for a a car, um, you know, ride system where she had like ten rides a month she could take to wherever she wanted to go, or I would take her, my wife would take her, and so I'm like, where in the world is she? I know she's not hiking through the forest right now, and <laughs> you know, I look down and I see my mom's legs coming out from behind the bed, uh, like on the on the floor. She's uh, face down, and she, it's like the worst possible place for her to be because. I had um, pull strings, so there were a pull. There was a pull string in the bathroom. There was a pull string, emergency pull string in the bedroom. I had her one of those like I've fallen, I can't get up type of yeah yeah buttons for her arm, and then there was another you know button in the living room the, by her chair she could have pushed, but the one on her arm she she fell in the most awkward place. There was only like probably a foot space there between the bed and the wall and she had her hands above her head where you know she couldn't even reach her button if she oh, wanted to push it man. so she had been laying there for about eight hours man and i was just heartbroken i grab you know you get like superhuman strength in times like that because yeah. your loved ones are you know if they're in danger you're going to do what you need to do to get them out of that danger and i remember i grabbed her bed <laughs> queen size bed and just threw it in the living room and got it out so the and called the paramedics and they immediately came and and rushed her to the hospital but she suffered a stroke and um it wasn't her first stroke she had she had several others but this was definitely the worst and i could tell after the fact because she lost a lot of her motor skills she lost a lot of her um you know ability to form complete sentences um and that was tough because i knew what she was saying and 
you know, she knew what she was trying to say, but it just wasn't coming out. Yeah. It was jumbled. And so I had to get her in a rehab facility and um, got her in the best rehab facility here in the area. And I remember her calling me up. The past two years of her life, she started getting dementia. Yeah. And even at the time, I was in denial about that because you never want to, you know, really accept the fact that your mom is you know losing her mind really yeah and yeah. dementia's dementia's it's it's awful man it's I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody because this person that you grew up loving caring for and they grew up loving and caring for you 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 lose them yeah in that yeah and even in their eyes like you start seeing that glaze over you know so they get angry easily and they um they get they you know just get mad and uh well, i can imagine to... their their anger probably comes from a place of confusion and not having that i mean i mean the brain is this brilliant wild complex thing where it probably knows it should know things that it should know but it doesn't and that's where this anger comes from deep within and it's it probably does. easily it, triggered know, it is and and that's the thing about my mom and those old school people uh counseling was out of the question you know my mm. mom as i said suffered abuse all of her life sexually mm. physically mentally you know i remember this is uh, you know being vulnerable because i mean my my I, any podcast i do i'm vulnerable because that's how people learn you know and, yeah. and vulner vulnerability breeds vulnerability but my my mom you know she was very closed and would only talk to me really about what was going on. And I, I said, mom, you gotta, you gotta really open up to somebody and talk to them about a lot of this because you got a lot of trauma from your past <laughs> yeah. here. here. Yeah. And that was, that was just, especially when you're dealing with someone old school, man, that they just, that's taboo. You know, even five years ago talking to people, Hey, let's get counseling. That was just out of the question. Yeah. No, you know, I'm not a loony or crazy. I'm like, mom, I know you're not, but <laughs> You, you do need counseling to work through some of this trauma because you're bringing it into, you know, I, one example, she would tell me a story about when she was younger, three years old, little girl, and she was being sexually abused by her, her um, brother-in-law. Yeah. So it was her brother-in-law and she at night was pushing this dresser as little as she was imagine a three-year-old trying to push a dresser up against a, a door to keep this person from coming in and, and messing with her you Man. know and so when you deal with trauma like that you you have ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder and you take it with you and i remember getting a phone call from her and she was having a night terror and it was the it was it was awful man it was like i get a phone call from her and she says i have this dresser up against the drawer and he can't get in but i need your help cuz i can't get out of my room right now you man. know and um it was like a, it was like a 3 in the morning call and i was just like oh lord jesus like i knew what was going on like what how why why she was saying that of course i went over there no dressers up against her drawer or her door. Um, but I knew why she was saying that. it just broke my heart. Yeah. You know, yeah. because she's she's dealing with that that post-traumatic stress from being molested as a child. Yeah. You know, and so there was a lot of trauma there, man. And that trauma will if you keep it and hold it, it'll become almost like a child to yeah. you. Yeah. And you feel 
I, I, in my job, I work with a lot of broken people. And what I found is people sometimes love their baggage. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they, and you, yeah, they and do. you try to help, you try to help them with that baggage. You better be ready for a fight at times because if they don't want help with that baggage, you're going to get it. You know, you're going to see the ugly side of that, of life because sometimes people just know their baggage and they know how to carry it and they've never put it down. Well, and- the baggage does a few things. I mean, one, it, it gives them something to lean on. It gives them an excuse for behavior. It gives them attention uh, it gives them a reason to, uh, I mean, basically if this is the only life you've known, if all, if all you've known is your baggage, when you drop your baggage, who are you? When it becomes your identity, who are you? And you're almost oh, yeah. more lost without the things that happen to you than you are broken with the things that have. Exactly. I mean, and, and it's almost easier to in a lot of ways, when you go through trauma, it's almost easier to carry that baggage, man, because when you start opening those bags, you got to sort out what's in them. And yeah, it's it's not easy. You know, I remember six years ago, I, I, I've dealt with, you know, night terrors my whole life, um, through the upbringing of my father and, and the abuse that happened. Um, it was pretty traumatic, man. And, you know, I, had, I don't get into detail a lot with what happened, um, but my dad was a very, um, he, he was a pretty evil dude, you know, but as a young kid, you know, dealing with that abuse, you take it with you, like I said, those bags and every traumatic instance, you're grabbing another bag, another piece of luggage, and you're putting what hurt you inside that luggage. And yeah. when that bag's full, you grab another bag and yeah. put it in there. And I remember six years ago, you know, God bless my wife, man. We've been married almost 18 years this November. And, uh, you know, she, you know, it's, I laugh about it because you you either laugh about it or you cry about it. I'd rather laugh about it. But, um, you know, I, I wake up screaming at night at times, you know, um, one time I, I accidentally headbutted her in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I had a dream that I was fighting somebody and I headbutted my, you know, the guy and I ended up headbutting my wife. Thankfully it didn't hurt her, but she's like, what are you doing? You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I was defending you against this person, you know, whatever. It's like, so very, and then one time I ended up waking her up and I, I, I didn't even remember this the next morning. She's like, you looked at me and you woke me up and you pointed to the door and you said, is that John Candy standing over there? <laughs> you know, and some of your listeners might not know who John Candy is, but one of the funniest guys, oh, in, you man. know, walked this earth, but you know, comedian, but I, and she said, I wouldn't stop asking her until finally she said, yeah, that's John Candy. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> and I, went back, I went back to sleep. Right. But then you have more traumatic instances where I'd wake up and I'd be, you know, screaming about something else or you know wake up in a cold sweat and and um so i just thought that was my cross to bear from my past and up until it kind of reached ahead and you know i went she's like hey we need to talk to somebody that knows more than us about this subject yep yep and it was always taboo to me too even though i work in the area of mental health and do motivational speaking well being raised in fundamental christian uh society like both of us were raised very very fundamental christian um 
it becomes very taboo. Like you said, like all you need is Jesus. That's it. Period. Full stop. When in yeah. reality, if, if you have Jesus, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's why he's given us those people, man. I'm telling you, uh, and, and, and we're hurting people by saying that because I would have people that would tell yes, me, we well, you just, you just need to pray through. No. Yes. Or you just need to read more scripture. And I, I believe in God's word. I read, I've prayed through, but at the, those people are ignorant because you need to you reach out and get help. If you need to get help with something, there's tools that are out there that can help you work through some of those things like cognitive therapy, you know, and, you know, all these different things that are available, brain mapping, all these things that are available to help one overcome traumatic issues of their past. Yeah. And and that's what I did. I was like, okay, I'm reaching out for help. And by at that time, I was, geez, you know, 13 years or so into my um, 12, 13 years into my speaking, you know, professional speaking career. And so I, I'm like, man, I, I felt like a failure in a way mm. going to get help for something that I was helping people for. Does that make yeah. sense? Dude, you're so, speaking... Yeah. So, so, so deeply that hits so deeply, like being able to help people, but you're not even addressing the issues that you have within you and the hypocrisy that you feel within yourself. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, it's like, I thought it was just, well, I guess this is, like I said, my cross to bear. I got to take this with me and my baggage. And so I reached out to a counselor and um, I started getting counseling and I, and I opened up. And she listened to me for about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Said, you care if I talk for five minutes? Absolutely. Nothing's wrong. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and so she lays on me. She's like, you got, you have severe PTSD. Hmm. And I laughed. I laughed. I was like, yeah, that's funny, doc. You know, here's your, you know, let me know what to write the check out to. And right. God bless. You know, yeah, type right. of thing. But then she started describing the uh, characteristics of one that has PTSD and man, dude, my uh, jaw was on the ground. Just mm. like, wow. I, you start realizing this is why I've been the person I am and why I've done the things I've done. And it's led me up to this point. And obviously, okay, I can either walk through this fire and become a better person on the other side. I can mask it. I can cover it up. I can, you know, just, you know, act like it doesn't exist and then really be living a life of hypocrisy. And that's not me. It's like, yeah. if I'm, I've always been a person that if I've been faced with a challenge, you have those fight, flight, or freeze mechanisms that are built within us for survival. Yeah. And, um, I've always been a fighter. You know, it runs in my blood. I'm Scottish, man, Scotch-Irish. So it's like, <laughs> you know, Braveheart's my favorite movie. I'm going to run at the, you know, enemy and I'm going to I'm gonna fight through it. And as hard as it was, you think after finally hearing the solution, okay, well, you have PTSD. You hear the doc tell you about your sickness. You kind of think you'll be relieved, but actually I went the opposite way. It felt like I was given like a death sentence of hmm. like cancer or something. And I went into severe depression, man, hmm. uh, for about a year, just like I, I, where I didn't want to get out of bed. I closed the shades and I was like, man, I, I still went on about my life. 
still spoke in schools, still did, you know, events, but I didn't really want to be around people because I was having to deal with issues from my past that I thought I had buried. Yeah. And that's the problem, man. You throw that stuff in those suitcases and lock them away. That's fine. But eventually the odor is going to start seeping out from underneath the door. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal with what's in that bag. Yeah. And it's not fun at first, man. It's not fun at all. You're, you're diving into things that you thought you wouldn't have to dive into anymore. You're, you're rediscovering yourself. You're having to, yeah. So realize that you're not a whole person and you're, you're really dissecting those areas. But if you're faithful to the process, you get to the other side and you go, okay, I am more complete today than I was yesterday. And that's all that matters. Hmm. So I, uh, I feel you on that, man. I, um, this is also first mother's day, uh, without my mom. Yeah. And, uh, I think PTSD is probably an accurate, uh, an accurate description of what's going on. Um, you, you don't know too much about my story. I've, maybe I'll bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, a lot of my listeners do. Um, but, uh, I lived with my mom. Uh, she now she was much younger than yours. Uh, your mom had you late, man. She was. Uh, she was my mom was forty. Yeah, uh, when she had me. Wow, man. Yeah. So my mom, uh, she was born in uh, ooh fifty six, fifty eight. Man, no, I can't. she was sixty four. Um, okay. So yeah, fifty six. Uh, so um, I've told a couple of these stories. I've told a few of these stories, but. I think that this is a good place to kind of paint the whole picture. Um, and we'll do it briefly. Uh, I don't know how much emotional energy I have for all of it right now. Um, it's pretty fresh. Uh, but I also feel like it's important to get this out while it's fresh. Um, because I, I know I'm losing a lot of uh, memories as I go. Um, so the uh, my mom, <laughs> strangely enough... Uh, my mom got breast cancer in, uh, late fall of 2019. So just about a year and a half ago, um, I found out through a Facebook post, uh, strangely, um, I think it was from my sister. I'm going to apologize real quick. I'm going to get facts wrong, uh, pretty much through this whole thing. Um, everything, sure. everything seems kind of a blur. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, um, but she got breast cancer fall, and fall of 2019, so just about a year and a half ago, I found out through a Facebook post. I think my sister created a page, um, and it was called like Grammy K's Updates. Her name is Karen, and uh, um, I was invited to the page. She, she thought that my mom had told me, but I didn't. I mean, she didn't tell me, and so I found out there she had straight uh, stage three breast cancer, um, but it wasn't uh, hadn't metastasized. Um, and, uh, it was localized. And so she went through chemo and then she had a mastectomy. Um, and she had six rounds and by April she was declared cancer free, uh, April of last year. And so COVID actually was pretty scary. You have somebody going through chemo, um, stage three. Uh, I mean, that's, if you want to talk like high risk, uh, um, that, that was almost more scary than the cancer was. Uh, um, but, uh, she, she was healthy through that in that capacity. 
Um, now I haven't had a relationship with my mom in a long, long time. Um, I lived with her when I was in high school, but it was tumultuous at best. Um, she didn't, this is my recollection. She didn't like me as a kid. She didn't like me as a person. Um, that's hard as a, as a kid growing up, especially like nine, 10, 11. Um, she knew who I was and didn't like me. And that taught me on early on that if you know me, you're not going to like me. So I'm not going to let anyone really know me. I'm going right. to kind of put a fake front. I'm going to put a facade there. And that was honestly, that was the person you met back in 2004 Yeah, was that guy, that the person that has to put the facade, because I actually had just moved out of my mom's house and down to Florida when you met, uh, like when we first met. Um, but that was it. Like my mom didn't like me. Why would anyone on the planet like me if the closest person didn't like me? And the, the, and the, and therefore I'm just, I have to protect myself. I have to protect myself from the hurt that that experience gave me. And so I built this massive fortress um, around my heart, around my emotions. I became this super logical person. I was just logical and everything was logic. It was either black or white, left or right. And it was super easy to make decisions because nothing really affected me. And I got, yeah. got married and, uh, you know, got divorced. Um, and a lot of that had to do with it and went through, a. um, after I got divorced in 2014, I went through this massive, uh, self-discovery about a lot of things, uh, a lot of unlearning, but a lot of that had to do with my mom and some of it reconciled, but the things that reconciled with my mom were, um, me allowing myself to forgive her, uh, regardless if there was an apology ever made, it was just me forgiving her. And I saw her in 2015 early on. Um, I was driving through the state and just happened to stop by. We uh, hung out for a little while um, and that was it, maybe just a couple of hours. And then in 2016, she actually came to my graduation at Michigan State University. And that was the last time I saw her. Um, you know, we would text maybe a couple of times a year. Um, I would try to give her a call on her birthday. Um, but that was the extent of our relationship. Um, and even during those calls, I, you know, she would make me feel bad. Like I would call and sure. then she would make me feel bad about not calling. And I was like, this doesn't make me want to call. Like yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> that's, the, that's the last thing. That's like, the last and, thing you want to hear. You're reaching out in vulnerability <laughs> and this person's like, you know, giving you more guilt trips. I You're know. like, oh, well, I guess the, the frequency of these calls, this was, you know. Like I was bad. I was bad at connecting with her. Yeah. But she was too. And um, I'm not going to speak on her mindset or her, uh, where she stood. I'm, I can only speak on mine. Um, but that, like, I, I honestly just kind of, uh, I processed so much of who she wasn't in my life to this point and unlearned so many things about who I thought I was when I was raised that I finally came to this point, you know, like, I am enough. I am. I can be myself. I know you, Jason Maupin, will like me as a person if you know yeah. me and you know me fully, like even yeah. saying that, like right now it like, it's emotional for me because like, I am, I, I, I don't fully believe it. I don't, but I have right. to continue saying it. I have, because I like the, that feels like the lie. 
Well, when well, what you what you vulnerability is strength, and you know when you go through trauma as a as a child, you like you said, you put those walls up, man. That it's like I'm not going to be hurt like this again. No, and I wasn't. Ne- yeah, and I'm never going to be put in a place where someone can hurt me again. Nope. And it, so, it so worked. That wall. Yeah, it does. It, it works, worked. Man, but it, it puts us in a in an unhealthy state, though, because we stop recognizing who the man in the mirror is. Oh yeah, but like I I blocked out love, I blocked out uh, compassion, empathy. I mean, I blocked out fear and I blocked out pain, but I blocked out connection. Yeah. And so that I mean, that's what I've been uh, learning how is to tell myself that if you know me, you will like me. If you know me, you can love me. Um, and you're not going to hurt me like the person who is the closest that should have like my original, like my my first love. Um, that person shouldn't have like you're not going to hurt me like they did. And um, and so uh, my mom, she got better. And uh, and honestly, I didn't didn't connect with her a ton. I sent her some messages and. um throughout uh 2020 um and then we went through christmas and then on february 6th of this year um she called my sister uh i have four siblings i'm one of five um my older sister sarah and myself don't have much relationship with her but my younger sister jessica and my older brother ben they have a relationship with my mom and uh my my mom called my sister jessica and told her that she had found a lump on the back of her head and went in. Um, and this is where I'm apologize. I'm going to mess these facts up, but I'm going to do my best. Um, sure. She found a bump on the back of her head and she went in and they gave her a quick MRI and said that the bump was actually going through her skull and into her brain and that they need to do um, uh, a PET scan or a biopsy to figure out um, if the if the cancer had returned. Um, but she is Medicare and she fell to the bottom of the priority list and, uh, two weeks turned into four weeks, turned into eight weeks and she was not treated and her symptoms started to, uh, rapidly and aggressively increase, um, pain in her flanks, uh, the, the local hospital in, in New Mexico, cause she moved down to New Mexico like a decade ago. Um, in the middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, uh, the small hospital really couldn't uh, handle anything that was significant when it comes to testing, but they, they they were like testing your kidneys and testing all these things and it was coming back positive. And I'm like, I know that I'm not um, a doctor or an oncologist by any capacity, but I do know, I, I can kind of put pieces together. Like she's had cancer before. <coughs> She's had cancer before, and and when it comes back, typically, it's not that's not a great thing. I mean, just typically. And now she's having flank pain in the areas of her kidneys, but her kidneys are coming back healthy. Like I'm doing the math in my head. I'm she has a bump on her head that's going into her brain, and her kidneys, her her whole flanks are hurting. I mean, this is I mean, and and this is my uneducated brain saying there's something going on with her spine, with her with her yeah. nervous system. Because you don't have pain in those areas without either something local happening or something with the spine. 
And uh, then a, a week later, so we were looking at nine weeks after she had found the bump and she's in sleeping and, you know, 20 hours a day. She's barely up. She's heavily medicated. Um, uh, nine weeks later, she uh, gets really dizzy and it's hard, hard for her to breathe. And she goes into the hospital and her lungs are filling with fluid. And um, they sent her uh, immediately. They medevac her from New Mexico and into Lubbock, Texas, uh, via helicopter. And uh, immediately they drain her lungs. They uh, drained a liter of fluid from her lungs when they got there. And then the next morning, two more liters. So nearly a gallon in 24 hours from her lungs. Um, and at that point, they sent it off for testing to see if it was... Uh, was cancerous fluid and they were able to manage her pain a little bit better there. And by that time, um, the oncologist finally agreed to see her because the fluid came back, uh, testing positive for cancer. So then they're like, okay, now we can test you for cancer. Like it took nearly 10 weeks for them to finally say, okay, we'll test you. And, um, I did test my, I did text my mom. I sent her a message a couple of weeks before that happened. Um, I, I could see, I know that my sisters were being very optimistic, but I could, I, I mean, like, I don't want to be the, the, I want to say I was realistic and I, I see, I saw what was happening. I was watching her health decline and, um, I sent her a text and I was like, mom, I'd love to come visit you. Um, if you're, you know, if you'd be up for a short one hour visit, uh, maybe this upcoming weekend, I'd love to fly down and just see you briefly. And she responded and said, please don't come and see me. Um, I, that would, that ups, that would upset me a lot. Um, and, uh, and, and it was hard to read at first, but I think for her, she was in denial about what was happening and a visit from somebody who doesn't have a relationship with her for her meant death. And right. I get that. I understand that. Um, that was hard. That was hard to see and read um, because I love my mom. And I love, uh, despite, despite our story, despite our message, I love my mom. And um, Absolutely. That's the person that... <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it, it carried you for nine months, yeah. man. And, it's, <laughs> and it's raised hard. me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so she... She went on in, to Lubbock, Texas, and uh, she went into the critical care unit there. And uh, by the time the oncologist came and gave um, the examination, uh, they found out she had um, cancer in her brain and in her spine and in her shoulders and in her lungs and a, a bunch of other places in her body. And almost immediately, the oncologist uh, wrote her off as untreatable and uh, pretty much just said, you need to make her um, comfortable. And we're looking oh. at 10 weeks uh, since uh, the start of the whole thing. Um, um, sorry. Um, oh, man. Take your time. Uh, she started to lose her mind a little bit. She was texting my older sister, Sarah, who didn't have much of a relationship with her. Like the FBI is there. You need to call the FBI. The people here are trying to kill me and stuff like this. And um, Sure. That was really tough because it was the beginning, the onset of watching her brain uh, start to go. I mean, like you got to think the body knows, the brain knows 
when uh, these things are happening. I mean, on a, on a subconscious level, it knows and it starts to shut down the parts that are non-essential in order to uh, concentrate the energy into keeping you alive, to breathing and to blood pressure regulation and to temperature regulation. And so you, you begin to lose yourself because you, you don't need the neocortex. The, you don't need the front of your brain where your character lives. You don't need that. You need to breathe and you need to eat and you need mm-hmm. like the the most basic functions of human and so you begin to lose your brain you begin to lose your mind and who you are and you can't critically think and your memory goes and uh she she was uh very paranoid and kind of in a fugue state and uh my dad at this point uh realized uh how serious the situation is and he lives up here in Michigan he's lived in lives in Kalamazoo and um They've been divorced for about 25 years. Um, uh, they divorced when I was like, uh, it, was, it was the August before I was going into my freshman year of high school. They got a divorce. And so we're, I mean, to, like 25 years ago nearly. Um, or maybe it was 20 years ago. It's hard to hard to tell. Uh, 97, so you do the math. Uh, 24 years. And um, he uh, said, he's like, I, I couldn't live with myself if she dies alone. I, I can't do that. And, uh, and so he packed wow. up his car and drove down. Uh, and while he was driving down, they moved her to a facility, um, a hospice p- f- a facility, a nursing facility. And uh, when he got there, um, the nurses said that her entire demeanor changed. Everything changed. Um, she went from... Uh, kind of paranoid and panicked to complete peace. And uh, she was so incredibly thankful that he had arrived. I'm not sure if she fully understood the situation, if she fully understood her condition, um, but she knew who he was. And um, when I was talking to my dad about it, because he was able to call me, there was a small, I mean, I think he was with her from maybe like nine or 10 in the morning until about four or five in the afternoon. And he was able to call me that evening or one of the evenings he called me and I was just like, dad, I, it's the most selfless and beautiful thing I've ever seen is this. I mean, like I've, I can't imagine, you know, like some, and he goes, this is what love requires. This is what love required of, of me. And I mean, like I've, I love my dad. I, I love him. And I know that if I have kids one day, I'll model how to love my kids after him. But this is a whole new level of selflessness, of, of love, of just showing up. And, um, he showed up on a Sunday night, um, and then Monday morning and he was able to spend, um, about 11 days with her, um, and she passed so he was able to spend that week and then the following week and then she she passed on thursday night or friday morning the 23rd um of april and uh she just slowly i mean like she was awake less and less each day and she was eating less and less and um about wednesday she just stopped eating and that was when the nurses were like this this is like the last thing that happens and then she passed a couple of days later. Um, wow. And um, I'm so incredibly thankful that he um, he was there. I am couldn't be more proud as a son 
to see that, to watch that happen. Um, and uh, th that was just over two weeks ago. And uh, he just got back. Uh, he came back on Saturday, actually. And then Sunday was Mother's Day. And he had this yeah. big car full, huge, massive car full of of pictures more than anything else my mom had thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures like more than we could ever go through like realistically more than we could ever go through right and um and my dad so why was do you like, why do you think if i get if yeah, i ask you yeah, this, yeah. why why do you think that i mean you said you have four siblings and you so five kids your mom had it sounds like the two or three even of your siblings had a relationship with your mom. Two did. Why did yeah. they? Oh, two. So why did and did they end up having a relationship with your mom and you didn't? It's kind of a personal question. Yeah, it's you don't it's, have to answer it's a, that, but it's a complex question. And I mean, realistically, it probably um, has to do with uh, re religion. And I, I hate saying that, but she was deeply, deeply religious, and I've gone through a faith. Uh, transformation in, in ways. Um, you know, I fell completely out of faith, uh, in early 2014 and was like an atheist for a while. And then I was a nurse, uh, not a narcissist. I was, um, agnostic. Uh, well, yeah, I was, um, it, if you don't, if you don't think anything exists, nihilism, I was a nihilist, uh, okay. for a while, like nothing matters because nothing exists beyond us. Um, and then I was like a pantheist and I kind of went through this, but it wasn't, I didn't hold them too tightly because I knew I was wrong. So I was just like, sure. what fits for right now? And I'm kind of, in a sense, coming back to a different kind of faith myself. Um, one sure. to where I can, you know, cuss and I feel like God will still love me. You know, it's, it's weird. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's I, the, I mean, God's grace is so big and you know, that's the thing, man, is I think so many people, uh, you know, religion has been used to manipulate and spiritual abuse has happened even in the Catholic sexual abuse, you, you name yeah. it, the abuse has happened in the Catholic church and other denominations for thousands of years, you know, yeah. and that's such the enemy. The enemy will take something that is good and twist it just enough to hurt and damage. And what people don't realize is people are flawed individuals and, they're going to let you down. People are going to let you down. They're not God. <laughs> and yeah. so the world has this skewed view of religion and of God because they've been hurt by the church or hurt by a pastor or hurt by something, and they equate that with God. And it has nothing to do with God. You know, It has nothing to do with his characteristics. Um, I think sometimes we worship the, the man, the person behind the pulpit more than we do the God, you know, and so um, that conquest that you were on to find that relationship with Christ, um, he's not threatened by that. <laughs> you know, God created it. I, know, I, I think if he's not threatened by that. Yeah, I think I probably I, I would think it's safe to say that, you know, the, especially the audience uh, that this has, I, it, it would probably be safe to say that if there is a God, and I do believe that, that he cares more about, God cares more about me than he does the things that come out of my mouth. And so, right. um, and so I, I kind of sit with a, a few different thoughts and beliefs with that, but you know, even that is, is, is a swirling, twirling, uh, shifting viewpoint that I, I have yet to land on something that is an absolute 
besides a couple of things that this podcast was not made for um, today. <laughs> uh, that sure. We, maybe we'll talk about that, uh, that sure. fun journey yeah. in another one. Um, but uh, my mom, with me specifically, is uh, I, this is just what I believe. I, it's hard for me to project that. Um, but I'm, or no, with my sister, it would be uh, deeply, uh, for like me and my sister, we definitely don't fit the mold of the good Christian kid. Uh, my brother Ben does. He is fundamental, um, deeply fundamental uh, Christian. Right. And, right. Um, and Ben's always been my favorite, or Ben's always been my mom's favorite. Um, it was, according to me, now, if you were to ask my sister, she would say differently, but... Um, uh, but, uh, now my younger sister, Jessica, uh, is kind of in the same boat as I am. Uh, it kind of fell away from the church, but she has a daughter. And so my mom was in her life because my mom was a grandma and sure. that's why she had a relationship with her. Um, so me and Sarah didn't have anything to offer in a sense. Um, we don't have religion and we don't have kids. And so therefore it doesn't fit the mold of wow. Um, who she expected us to be. That hurts because it's rejection. You know, it's it rejection is. by a person that should be nurturing, should be caring, should should love you despite your differences, despite anything, man. And so you're grieving almost two different things here. You're grieving <laughs> the lack of relationship that you had with your mom, and then you're grieving the death of your mom. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, yeah, I, uh, when my dad got back, he's, he's like, Hey, I think we're going to meet on Sunday on mother's day. And I was like, I, I think that's appropriate. So me and my sister, Sarah and Jessica and my dad got together. Um, my brother Ben lives in, uh, Hawaii and my sister, my other sister is estranged. Um, and so it was just the four of us and we decided to, uh, first thing we did was go through, um, uh, and have snacks, and we ate the snacks that my mom used to like. Nice, um, nice. And uh, whew, that was harder than I anticipated it to be. My anxiety was high, and I didn't. Sure. Sh I didn't show that honestly. Um, I I kept it together, but honestly, I was really hard for me to do that. Um, I actually went into the bathroom at one point and had like a real small mini breakdown. And I was like, this is just my family. Well, like what is going on? But there's probably a lot of stuff going on. Um, oh yeah. And then we went, we decided to go through the, uh, a lot of the pictures like, Hey, let's just go through. And I mean, she had thousands and thousands that she kept. I mean, she kept everything like my, my family in 1987 moved or maybe it was a little later, but uh, moved, no, it was 87 or 88, moved from Michigan to California, old school style. Me and my brother Ben rode in the U-Haul with my dad and drove across the country with a map, you know, like, and she kept the, she kept the receipt for the U-Haul and she, uh, you know, the plane tickets for the kids. She kept everything, every single thing. Wow. And, yep. um, all the way through. Um, and you know, we, we found some weird things in there, you know, people are weird, but it, you know, that's okay. Um, but, uh, I, I found a, a letter from my mom and I was the one who found it. All of us were going through, um, here it is. And it's actually a copy of a letter. Um, I don't even know where the original is, but it's a letter to me on my birthday 
um, in wow. 2001. And I, I don't know if I didn't get it or if I forgot it or if I read it and threw it away. I'm not sure. So you were 19, 18, 19. I was 19. I turned 19. Um, and I'm reading it now and I'm like, man, this is what I wanted my mom to tell me my whole life. Yeah. And here she was telling me and I never heard her. Yeah. It says, even though you are a grown man now, and I'm very proud of you, here are some things that you need. uh, Here's some thoughts you need to keep. And the first one is never forget that I love you. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. And it says a bunch of other stuff. I never thought my mom was proud of me. And I never, I mean, I knew she loved me, but I never knew she loved me. Yeah. And I found the letter and I read the first like sentence and I'm like, nope, not ready. And just closed it up and put it in the little pile of stuff that I was going to take home. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's fine. That's fine, dude. Everybody's got to process that on a different level. Um, You know, it's strange how grief works, man. But it, it comes in waves. It really does. It comes in waves. And yeah. we just we just got to be faithful to stand our ground when that wave hits and allow it to allow it to crash. And and then we work through the next wave when it comes. I think I think the biggest question I wanted to talk to you and ask you about is how do you process the death of somebody that you never had a relationship with, but you have an eternal connection with. She didn't know how to be a mom. Her mom was terrible to her. Her mom was terrible to her and she didn't, she didn't know how to be a mom. Exactly. So you, you know, and you're processing that. And for me, it was different. It's different because man, I, my, I, there's a fine line between genius and crazy. <laughs> and my, my dad, my dad rode that line. My dad was a very smart man. He was an environmental, environmental engineer. He, uh, helped clean up. He was the key person to help clean up the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska <laughs> when it back in 90 something or whenever it happened. And, uh, he came up with that, method of putting sawdust out there and then them coming the sawdust soaks up the oil and then they come with nets and they skim it up so a very smart individual but he never he came from a very poor family so he had to have a lot of things and those things required a lot of maintenance and that maintenance required a lot of stress and those stress that stress man he took out on us and um, there is no relationship there between him and I, because, you know, there's been so much past abuse that he will not recognize. There's a, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness yeah. takes one person. I can, I have forgiven my father. I have let that stuff go yeah. because I realize if I don't forgive, then I take that baggage with me, that bitterness that unforgiveness turns to bitterness that bitterness eventually turns to malicious acts and you and i end up taking it out on my kids which is why you have the generational curses right yeah that that come so it was very important for me to walk through those fires those storms those those times where i had to deal with my baggage my past the brokenness the trauma because i wanted to be the father to my kids and the husband 
to my wife that my dad never was yeah. and that he wasn't man enough to do. So for me, you know, I, I have never reconciled with my father because it takes two to reconcile that he doesn't think he's wrong. He wasn't, he doesn't think that, you know, I brought up certain instances, instances to him that happened as a kid. And, and I said, why, you know, and he, I don't, I did never did that. It was like total complete denial where to, where I was like, wow, this guy, I really think he's crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, so there's a difference there, but you're grieving. There's two, like I said, you're grieving two different things. You're grieving the relationship you never had with your mom. Yeah. And, and wanted, and now you're grieving the loss of your mom that you'll never be able to get back to, you know, restore that relationship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, it's tough, man. I mean, there's in grief, they, they talk about the, the five stages of grief. And I think it was 1969, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, she was a Swiss American psychiatrist. She introduced the five stages of grief in a book called on death and dying. Um, but then they later on added like two more stages of grief because it's always evolving. So yeah. now it's seven stages of grief. So you first go through shock and denial and that initial stage of grief, that shock and denial is typically the stage when emotions are most profound. You know, the fact that you have experienced a loss, it may be evident, but you may still have underlying feelings of shock or disbelief. Like I cannot believe this person is gone out of my life. You know, it's, it's strange you say that, um, Cause I'm, I'm not an angry person. Uh, I mean, you've yeah. known me for a long time. I'm not, I'm no, I'm not yeah. somebody who yells probably ever. Um, I, I mean, I've never seen you yell. <laughs> I've never heard you yell. <laughs> and, you've always managed your, that's what I'm saying. You've always managed I, your emotions pretty well. I do. But that goes back to keeping people at a distance. Sure. Right? It, like, sure. It does. And the night, so I'm remodeling my house right now. And, uh, the, the, the night that my mom passed, she passed, uh, early in the morning. And that night I was, um, installing a microwave in my kitchen, a brand new one. And it was the ones where you, they mount to the wall over the, um, the stove they're mounted over the stove. So that it looks like they're kind of hanging. Um, and I've never done it before, but I'm like, I, I can do that, you know? And so I'm, they there's this track and it's like the silver track that that you have to you have to bolt that thing anchor it to the wall into the like into the studs with big lag bolts and so i'm they give you this template and they're like line this up with the studs and i'm 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 holding it on to the wall and i i use my stud finder and i i i mark one and mark two and i mark the third stud and i and i i get over to the third stud and my lag bolt goes chunk, right into the wall and i'm like Ugh son of a i'm like <laughs> i missed the stud and i'm like that's fine it happens yep, yep, so then i'm yep. using the screw i'm using the drill and i'm literally like where is this stupid where is this and i have this line of 15 holes that are a quarter inch apart from each other all the way trying to find this stupid stupid stud and i literally rip the thing off the wall and i yell and throw it across the room as hard as i could and I have never done that yeah. in my life. Yep. I've never screamed. And I literally screamed as loud as I could. And then I stopped Good. and I was like, maybe this isn't the studs. Yeah. Maybe, well, it's, maybe it's there's other things going though. on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, man. Like uh, those emotions, 
we can almost feel emotionally numb in those times, man. We have difficulty sleeping during that shock and denial. We have decreased appetite, heart palpitations, anger, like you just said, you know. Um, but it, it's all normal, man. And and I and and feeling those those things, I, I, I a quick story going through that this past year it was tough, obviously, because after the the shock and denial, you go through pain and guilt. Um, you know, you have anger and bargaining, you have depression, reflection, and loneliness. I know that these aren't which, linear either. You can go, you can bounce yeah, exactly. all around. You bounce all, you do. You feel schizophrenic at times. Yeah. You You're like, man, I, I remember my mom first passed. I, I found myself driving over to her, her residence during the day. And I'm like, what am I doing? I, I, I was in the parking lot. Oh, like going to see her? Going to see her. <sighs> I was going to see her. And it was just natural huh. instinct of like, I got to go check on my mom, you know, because for as long as I can remember, I was always my mom's protector. Mm. Growing up as a kid, I, as young as seven years old, I remember my dad just totally demeaning, berating my mom as he constantly did. I'm, we're in our beds, my brother and I, and my dad's calling my mom a bitch. He's calling her a whore. He's, Jeez. I mean, he's just, I mean, it was, it was just constant mental verbal abuse and my mom never fought back she just and it made me so angry and i remember and he's like do you want me to leave just tell me to leave and i and and you got to remember we're living in a home that in paradise valley it's a two million dollar home at the time scottsdale arizona paradise valley is basically the beverly hills of california You know, it, you know, it was a nice home, but it's huge. And they're in the living room and our bedrooms are clear across probably a hundred yards away. Jeez. And, and, you know, you know, more like probably 50, 60, 60 yards, but I'm hearing him screaming at her, yelling at her, you know, and I, I got up and ran to the living room and I said, mom, you, you tell him to get his ass out right now. Seven years old. I said, you pack your shit and you get out. You know, I was so angry yeah. man, as a seven-year-old kid. Yeah. And I I knew I was going to take a beating for that. <laughs> and I I did. I took a beating for it, man. But at least he wasn't beating on my mom. Yeah. At least he wasn't. He, at least he was. At least the abuse wasn't on her anymore. Yeah. I would take, I took it. I was like, okay, I'll take it all, all you want, you know. But don't. So I remember as young as seven years old, being my mom's protector growing up, same thing, you know, once my brother and he ended up being going in, getting addicted to methamphetamines and became the abuser and, you know, him protecting her from him, you know, and constantly I was her protector. Constantly I was her, you know, it felt like just, yeah, just that protector. So I found myself, man, driving over there and needing to, I was like, I got to check on my mom. Then I'm like, get over there. And I'm like, Wow she's not here you Man. know and so it sets in you know those 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 moments set in of that guilt yeah and that pain and all those states that you feel and i ended up having this you know moment with my family we ended up going to puerto rico and it's it was this past march and you know kids can pick up on this grief they can pick up on you know, I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, four-year-old, very just just great kids, man. I I couldn't be 
I couldn't be more blessed with the the kids I have. Just just so caring, loving, gentle, kind, um, and they pick up on when you're hurting. Yeah. And I remember my four year old, my son. <laughs> man, the story it, it, telling it, uh, speaking it out loud is different than writing it because I, I wrote a little blog on it, but. Um, it's it's tough, man, because we're out there, and I I grew up in Arizona for most of my life, and you know I grew up going to San Diego, and if you've never seen the Pacific Ocean, it's it's a sight to behold, man. It's, it's so beautiful. It is. You have the ocean. It's just these waves are massive. You know, six eight foot waves just crashing down. And I remember being out there as a kid, and you learn to dive deep underneath that wave because if you don't, you're gonna get spiked down to the bottom. And yeah. Go through the wash. Yeah. I almost paid for it with my life several times getting, you know, caught up in a rip current once as a kid and coughing up seawater for several, several days after that. And then once when I was in college, Thomas Lynn, remember Thomas Lynn? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm with Thomas Lynn in El Salvador and we got caught out there in a rip current and those waves were massive and that was the best shape I was ever in my life. And Thomas was in great shape and we, we got to the shore and literally just laid down because we were just like, oh, man, we almost, we could have died out there, yeah. you know. So if you're not careful and you don't know what you're doing, those waves will just kick your butt all over the place. And I I was out there with my son, who's four years old, and we're playing. And when I'm on vacation, I turn off my phone. I get off of social media. My life is not anybody else's except my family's. Because I, I share my that's my job. You know, I, I do motivational speaking. I speak in schools. I speak in prisons. I speak in festivals, whatever. I do my podcast, speak about mental health issues. And I share a lot of my, my family allows me to share a lot of my personal stories of my life with everybody. So when I go on vacation, I'm, I'm theirs and, and I try to get away from everything else. And I was given full attention to everybody and my kids and playing with them in the ocean and teaching them these things that that I had to learn the hard way. And I remember Phoenix, who's, like I said, four years old, such a powerful moment looking at me, grabs me by the cheeks, looks at me in the eye, says, Daddy, when Grandma passed, it felt like you got lost in the forest and I was never going to find you again. Jeez. And I was just like, oh, man, I broke down. And I was like, dude, you don't know how much that speaks to me, man. I said, I did. I said, I... I did get lost in the forest. I said, but your love, it found me. It found me, man. And um, hmm. and that's that's what I say to people, man. When you're going through grief, you got to let love find you because it's the only thing that will heal you. It'll, it's the only thing that will heal you through that. When you can get to the point where you can read that letter and realize that your mother, that first line, if you can never get past that first line, it's fine because it says it all in that first line. Yeah. I love you. And you got to let that love find you. And when it does, it'll heal you, you know? And um, and then you got to accept it because that's the hard part is accepting it. Sometimes loving, giving love is easier than even accepting it. No, we, it's we have, much easier. You got to accept it. Yeah. Especially as an eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I'm there with you, man, because, yeah, the Enneagram 8s, you know, people that know the Enneagrams. I'm good at love, um, man. I'm real good at love. I'm yep, real yep. bad at letting somebody love me. 
Oh, absolutely. And we, that's why. We, we, you know, and, and, and there's reasons for that because we've been hurt in the past and we're like, I'm never going to be in that spot again where I'm not in control yeah. of, of those things. But when you're going through grief, man, it's, it's hard to be in control, you know, <laughs> of your emotions. <laughs> you know, like yesterday for Mother's Day, as you know, my wife, she's a worship leader at her church and, and my, I'm biased, of course, but has a voice like an angel and does a great job, man, there at leading. And so she has me help every now and then. And, you know, my mom never got to hear me sing um, or even speak in a professional setting, you know. And I always regretted that just like because I was I always knew my mom was proud of me. I never doubted that. My mom was a saint growing up, man. Just like like one time spent 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 over an hour writing down lyrics to the Billy Joel song Lullaby. You ever heard that song? Oh yeah. Yeah, I love that song. Good night, my angel. Now it's time to sleep. Yeah. She wrote that down, man. And she wrote it down verbatim because she wanted me to sing it. And I and so, but she's always that caring, nurturing mom. And but she never got to see me speak in a professional setting or hear me sing in a professional setting. And um, so I kind of regretted that. But yesterday, it was a tough day. But man, it sounds you're gonna think I'm completely crazy. But I'm standing up on stage, and serve the countdown clock is um, is finished. I'm entering the service, and right. Then I feel someone grab my left elbow. <laughs> I can't explain it, man. But I turned around and no one was there. Like the piano player was behind me sitting down, but he was too far. I'm like what in the world? I mean, it felt like someone just put their arm within mine hmm. and just grabbed, grabbed it, you know? Hmm. And, um, I just, I thought it. I felt it was my mom. Yeah, I, I was like, man, like I was like, she's here, she's here with me right now, and um, dude, that was a cool moment. Yeah, because I was like, and I was so happy, man. I was so overjoyed. Because I felt her presence right there with me, man. And I believe that she, she was there with me, man. I really do. Uh, but, yeah, just such a cool moment where I was just like, man, she she, she always would say that, too. She's like, I'm, I'm, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. I'll hmm. be with you. And hmm. um, even down, she got to her, her dying days, man. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced someone passing but it's not very kind it's no. it's not it's not very um yeah it's just the best word in common but not very kind it's you know they start doing what's called the death rattle yeah and you know their body shutting down and it it's the worst noise i can ever describe but their every breath is just like it sounds like they're choking. They're not. The doctors assure you that they're not suffering, that they're fine, and they're heavily medicated, obviously, in like almost a coma type state. But it's 
when you start hearing that death rattle, it's about an hour, 35 mm. minutes to an hour before they pass. Huh. And um, even before, before she stopped, before she stopped breathing, before she started doing the death rattle, she, the one thing she never stopped saying was, I love you, Jason. Hmm. You don't matter how b bad her mind got, I love you, Jason. I love you. And um, I'm here. With, I, I just kept telling you, I'm here with you, Mama. You know, I come from, you know, my mom's from Arkansas originally, and I grew up calling my mom Mama. And um, I call man, her but, Mama too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, man, once they start doing that death rattle, and then, and then they, it's not long before they pass, man. And, uh, before, right before she passed, her legs were just like, looked like she was running, man. She's laying in bed, but it looked like she was running. <laughs> and I was like, man, she's up there on those streets of gold, seeing her relatives right now, transferring over into that life. And I guarantee you, she's running up there, you know, and having the time of her life. And Man, those hospice people, God bless them. They're just so kind. They like They're did my so mom's kind. hair. They are. They did they did my mom's hair. They they um you know, did her nails for her. You know, they came in and I, I when she passes, they draped this Afghan blanket over her. It's some kind of nonprofit ministry that's out there that makes these blankets for people and loved ones and but man, that just meant the world to me. I was like, here's these complete strangers yeah. loving and caring for my mother. And they don't have to do that, nope. you know, but they they chose to do that and they they just sat there and so yeah, they uh, I I came across an email the other day and someone forwarded it to me. And this email <laughs> they said they surveyed a bunch of five year olds on what love is. <laughs> You know, and you know these five year olds are coming up with these funny answers and stuff, and um, you know, love is when mommy, you know, gets daddy a cup of coffee in the morning, or you know, love is this, you know, whatever. And but the one that won was this five year old boy who they asked him what love was. He and he went. He told a story about how his next door neighbor had just lost his wife. This guy's in his 80s. And he went over there and he sat on the man's lap and his family, his mom and dad are watching him. And he just went over there and he climbs up on this old man's lap in his rocking chair and he's just rocking, sitting on this old man's lap. For about 10 minutes, he comes back to his parents and they look at the kid and they say, what'd you, what'd you say to him? And he said, nothing. I just helped him cry. Jeez. And... That's what life is about, really. Yeah. It's about, we think we always got to come up with the right thing to say. No, I feel like that's what this podcast is today. I right, feel yeah. Like, I feel like you're just helping me cry. And that's what it is. It's all about just being there for your, your brother, being there for your sister, being there for your friend, whatever, and just helping them cry, working through it. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. You know, it feels... For like you said, us eights, man, it's it's hard for me, man. I remember being a young kid, and my dad, I remember crying, and my dad saying, "Let me see those tears." And um, so you, I learned at a young age not to show vulnerability and hide my feelings. And then I realized that if I didn't want to become like the person that hurt me, 
I needed to be the opposite of that and, and relearn a lot of things, you yeah. know? So learn and relearn. Vulnerability strength. So you got you just gotta be faithful to the process of that and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step up to the plate here. I'm gonna deal with these emotions as they come. And one day you can be completely fine. That's the thing about grief. One day you'll be completely fine on top of the world. Next day you'll hear a song that reminds you of your your loved one or, or and and you'll just be a wreck, man. Or drilling a <laughs> hole in a wall like you did. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because like I, I have these great, really great friends that'll reach out and be like, Hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm okay. And they're like, yeah. no, it's okay to not be okay. I'm like, Oh no, I have those moments but yeah. right now. I'm okay. And then right. I'll be taking a shower. I'll be sitting in my hot tub and I look up and I see a satellite going across the sky ever so slightly. And all of a sudden it just ruins me for whatever reason. And then I'm, <laughs> and I'm weeping for five minutes and then I'm okay again. And then, yep. Just letting those be exactly what they are when they come. And that's the wave. Yeah. That's the wave of grief. Sometimes it feels like I'm drowning, but I'm okay. Yeah. You're going to be okay, man. Yeah. Because you're going to work through it. You've always been a person. I've known you, what, geez, for like 15 years now? or More, yeah. It's not, 17. Well, 18, geez. 18. Wow. So, and my wife's known you longer than that because <laughs> like you guys grew up together. Years, yeah. Yeah. But you've always been a person that attacked your, you know, worked through these these problems, and you know, I, I you have two what two master's degrees right now. You're working on a doctorate, like you've been in the Coast Guard, you've lived in Alaska. Like, I mean, I'm always wondering. I'm like, man, what's Mark up to today? Because I know it's going to be exciting. <laughs> I know it's going to be different. I know it's going to be exciting. You live life to the fullest. And you've always never, you've never been afraid to step up to the challenge. And that's Mark Short. And Mark Short's going to work through this too. Appreciate you, buddy. Absolutely, man. Oh, thanks. Thanks for speaking kind words, telling your story. Dude. That's what life is about, man, is sharing these vulnerable moments. Because someone's going to listen to this podcast, and they're going to be like, man, okay. If he can be vulnerable, then that allows me to be vulnerable. Yeah. Well, Every time I shared my story, and people, when I've, that's what I do professionally, you know, for those listening. If you go to elevateindustries.com, it's my website, but I do motivational speaking. and You beat me to it. I was going to tell him how to, I was going to ask you how, yeah. to, how to reach you, but yeah, you beat me to it. Yeah, elevateindustries.com has everything up there, the social media links. The podcast is just called The Elevate Industries Podcast, available on Apple, Google, um, Spotify, you name it, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, but it's available. I mean, we're being listened to right now in 25 countries, which I, I never thought would be possible. I mean, you started, you, I don't know about you, but when I start something, I'm like, you know, like right now I'm 75 pages into my book and I'm like, who's going to read this? You know, you're always like, <laughs> who's going to listen to this? Who's going to read this? Why am I doing this? You know, and yeah. then you end up doing it. And now the podcast is being listened to in over 25 countries, Kenya being the newest of those countries. Oh, Kenya, and, dude. Right. Yeah. So I got Lithuania on there, Ireland, Scotland, England, you know, Lithuania, Estonia. I'm like, where is Estonia at? You know? <laughs> so, I, you know, some of these countries, I'm like, where is that's a country? So, uh, but yeah, Kenya being the latest, which is great. Um, but yeah, that's just called the Elevate Industries podcast. It's a mental health podcast and it's for people. It, it's not, 
if you don't, it's not just for people that struggle with mental health issues. It's for people to help understand how other people struggle with mental health issues. Everybody you know? so, struggles with mental health. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, everybody. people don't realize that, that everybody <laughs> Everyone has needs some therapy. mental health issue. Yeah. <laughs> so you can reach me by that, elevateindustries.com. Dude, all um, seven of my listeners are going to be really thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, it says seven more listeners I get. That's great. Yes, but, you do. You know, but just hit me up on there. And, you know, I also have on the on the website, elevateindustries.com, I also have a, a blog. It's called Take Off Your Mask. And it's so funny because this past year, it's all been about masks. We've been wearing masks everywhere. Yeah. It's getting on my nerves, man. It's like so many masks. You know, you. I saw a meme the other day. It said, like, it saw, showed this guy with so many masks around him he became this big old ball and they're just rolling him around you know <laughs> but um you know for what i've been doing this now f for 18 years and i since day one i've talked about taking off the mask being you yeah and if people don't like you for who you are then they're not your friend to begin with you know when you start being vulnerable when you start being real when you start being who you are if people aren't accepting of you then you know that you need to move on, cut that person off and move on and find the person that when you are vulnerable, they encourage that and they help you through it. So I have a blog on there called take off your mask. They can, they can, man, people can anonymously share their story. They can read other stories of people up there that are going through some of the same stuff they are. Cause that's the biggest part about life is you need to realize you're not alone. So many yeah. times we think we're alone in our in our grief. We're alone in our trauma. We're alone in the mental and physical battle we may be going through. But once you realize you're not alone, life is a lot easier to yeah. walk through. It really know? is. So um, that's a, another tool. Journaling is a powerful tool. So that's a tool that's up there for them. The Elevated Industries podcast is there. And then I go in, that's my primary job, man, is to go in into schools and speak. And this past year, we took a major hit with that, obviously, because yeah, of the no whole joke. virus. I had to really pivot with the podcast. We pivoted with the, um, you know, doing online stuff. A couple months ago, I was speaking in Dublin, Ireland via, you know, Zoom <laughs> to a group of students that just had one of their classmates brutally murdered wow you know it was just such a sad story about Jeez. you know this kid just walking home and get stabbed to death 16 years old and then i get the call going hey uh our students need you to to encourage them and give me give them a pick me up type of talk and i'm like oh geez here we go okay you know that's probably the worst part of my job is going into a community or school where after there's been a suicide or a murder and you're having to really just lift these students up and allow them to understand that if one traumatic one traumatic instance in their life doesn't define their whole life, yeah, you know, it's going to be part of their story from now on. Yeah, but, it will be. You know, there's there's more chapters that you can turn the page, and there's more chapters. So, uh, but yeah, we we had to do that. We had to pivot there, and um, it's been great, man. And we've you know. But I'm looking to get back, man, to do what I love to do. Yeah, no like joke. Face it's face, coming, though. Man. It's I coming. I want to get back face-to-face -face with students, and, and man, that's where it happens. 99% of my school assemblies end with students coming up to me saying, can I have a hug? Yeah. And you're going, absolutely. Human and connection. That's that 
human connection, but human connect. Yeah. Human connection is everything. It's everything, man. It, so, which is um, why I wanted to do this podcast in person, but this will this will have to do for now. Yeah, right. Until Face the next time. time I see you, next time you come into Michigan, and oh, I'll I, be there, man. I'm, I'll be there. We'll have to we'll have to do it face to face because um, there's there's just something about that, man. Um, do you're my brother, we, dude. Thanks, man. You are too. I do, do. We should just do a we should do like a thirty minute podcast and tell old masters stories. <laughs> oh, bro, I'm there, man. <laughs> There's so many crazy stories, bro. So many. I feel I like we could just hours. Oh, dude, I feel like if we could get like Joel Ryder and then like Corey Baker <laughs> and Eric, dude, just like just get like oh, a bro. a list of people and just do third. It wouldn't be thirty minutes. It'd be it'd be like two hours of us just telling. Oh, bro, stories. yeah. Just <laughs> the craziness that happened there, oh, man. Oh man. Oh my gosh. What's your craziest master story? What would be your top, like, top three or what? Just oh, the top. Man. What's the top one? Just one. Oh, right now? Yeah. What do oh, you think? Oh, God. Where do I even begin? John Devesky running off a bus covered in blood after doing Jesus on 41 <laughs> at, like, 10 p.m. Packed traffic hops off a bus he looks like he's murdered and he has these white shorts on he's covered in blood we're at a stoplight he hops off the bus and runs like 200 yards straight back screaming and people are like calling 911 because he's covered in blood hops back on the bus that has first assembly ministries on it and we get back to the church oh my gosh dude oh there's there's too many to have just one too many yeah Gosh. You read a whole book on that stuff, man. A whole <laughs> book on the craziness. <laughs> man. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot that are it. ridiculously inappropriate that I no, absolutely. cannot <laughs> wait to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. As soon as it becomes inappropriate, I just drop the names but tell the story. <laughs> right? Yeah. What happens on the mile stays on the mile. <laughs> <laughs> Names have been changed to protect the innocent oh, or the guilty. <laughs> All right, man. Well, let's wrap this up. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for coming on and talking. And- Are you kidding me, man? It's an honor, man. I love it. Love you. Believe in you and what you're doing, man. Thanks, man. I really, I really, really appreciate it. guys jason here i hope that was beneficial to you and in our and us being vulnerable and showing you that you're not alone when you start experiencing some of those losses dealing with grief dealing with baggage whatever it may be um you got to start dealing with those bags that you've put away from your past or you they eventually deal with you and um that's that's the best way to put it because if you're you want a successful family someday you got to deal with what's inside you so it doesn't come out on your family okay break those generational curses whether it be addiction whether it be um, negative thought patterns um, cognitive distortions as we've spoken about depression whatever it may be 
you are not you do not have to be the product of your past i have seen time and time again a lot of the people i interview on here a couple interviews back we interviewed tyler talking about how he used to be a heroin addict but now he's a father of two beautiful kids been married and has a successful job so you do not have to live in that baggage what you you get to choose what your life is going to be you get to turn the page and write a new new chapter no matter what the old chapters were you get to write a new chapter it's up to you and i i challenge you to make make it a bestseller whatever book you're writing make it a bestseller if you looked at your life on a movie screen would it be a box office hit and if if the answer is no then start living your life like your life is a box office hit like it your life is a best-selling novel because it's it you it's possible you can you can do that i believe in you please check out our website elevateindustries.com on there you can book us for events you have schools that listen to this students if you listen to this tell your principal tell your um, your board on your, your school board about what we're doing we don't just do podcasts guys this has been a great tool but our main venues are speaking live school assemblies we do do virtual assemblies but the best way is to come in live we bring a live band depending on what your um, school or business is wanting but we bring a live band and we talk about some great things topics and then we're able to give your students or the students you're able to get the podcast in return going hey these are some areas of of help that you can go through and it's a free resource where you can get more education on these things. So please get on elevateindustries.com. We're booking up some schools or calling, wanting to realizing that these lockdowns have not helped their students. The mental health is, is at an all-time high when it comes to students dealing with anxiety, fear, panic, you know, you know, stricken where, you know, they're just nervous about the future. Obviously so, right? Because the news just pumps that fear. Okay. But um, we would love to come in, talk to your students, encourage your students, talk to your staff, encourage your staff, and just get the year started off right for you this next fall. So get on elevateindustries.com and you can book us right on there and we can figure out a date that works best for you. And then we customize our message to fit your specific needs. You can also check out the merch store there. Like I said in the intro, be the change that you wish to see. T-shirt is up there and available. Um, listen, there's always hope. I always say this every episode, but I want you to understand there is always hope. You are welcomed. You are needed. You are loved. You are not alone. Whatever issue you're dealing with, you are not alone. Okay. Remember, vulnerability is strength talk with someone if you or a loved one is struggling with depression or you have thoughts of suicide there's a help for you okay and we want you to know that you are not alone you can call the national suicide prevention hotline open 24 7 365 days a year that number is 1-800-273-8255 again 1-800-273-8255 until next time guys 
My name is Jason Moppin, and you're listening to the Elevate Industries podcast. Thank you.